Amen. I don't know if this is a sign from the Lord, but my granddaughter walked up to me and gave me a prayer request card. (laughs) Y'all don't know how excited I am about this night. Well over a year ago, the Lord began to burden my heart that the churches of Copper's Cove, especially those of us who are part of the Southern Baptist of Central Texas Association, needed to gather together on occasion and worship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And if you all can spare me the moment, Brother Roy Harris, please stand up. Come on up here, would you? Come up here, with, would you please? It is good to see you, brother. Join these pastors right here on the front row, would you please? Now, you can go back to your wife in a minute if you want, but... I would ask all of you men to please stand right here. God has called men to be pastors of the churches of Copper's Cove. Any other pastors in here that I'm not aware of tonight? He has called these men to pastor as under-shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ to the congregations that he has placed us in. And Brother Carol Hambrick, please stand. And if you don't mind, would you come join us also, please? Come on up here if you, if you don't mind. I hope that you all know Brother Carol Hambrick. He is our pastor. Would you all agree, brothers? Amen. A fine man of God. I thank God for him. And I greatly appreciate him being here. Traveling all the way down from Waco to come and be with us tonight. Attended his 80th birthday party. And I still having trouble with believing that he is over 80 years of age. <laughs> God has called us to represent Jesus Christ in this generation. Amen? In this community. And I want to ask you all, I don't know what kind of day you guys have been having today. The Lord is good, but there's battle that goes on in unseen places. As I, as I prepared to preach this morning, a blinding light struck me in the eyes, and I wasn't Jesus Christ. And I got a severe headache and couldn't even see. I don't know what the deal was, but I managed to fumble through the message. And thank God I'm feeling fine now. But I want to ask you all to just join with me and let's pray for these men that God has called to lead the congregations, the Church of Jesus Christ right here in Coppers Cove, Texas. Father God, we love you and we thank you so very much for the very privilege of representing Jesus Christ in this generation. I thank you for my brothers in Christ and their willingness to reach out to their congregations and say, Would you all join me on Sunday night as we go over to the Robertson Avenue facility, God, that you have provided. I pray, Lord, for your anointing to be on these men, that they would walk in holiness and righteousness. And I speak that of myself as well, Lord. I pray that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit to the point where when we proclaim your word, it's not just in word, but it's in power. And I pray, God, that the example of Jesus Christ shining through not only our lives, but from every person that is a part of the church of Jesus Christ in this generation, in this city, would represent you to the point of causing lost sheep to come home. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You may return to your wives if you would so please.
Tonight's message is leaving a lasting legacy. The scripture will be Second Chronicles chapter 34 and 35. It's an Old Testament passage, but it's a good passage. I've not preached this passage to a church congregation, but I had to prepare this message for a class at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I had to preach it in 20 minutes. So I was thoroughly frustrated. And I said, Lord, that's like fast food. Would you provide another opportunity to prepare this meal properly? And so tonight, I pray that it is prepared properly. What are you all laughing about that? These are the living hope, folks. Most... <laughs> Y'all familiar with Billy Graham, right? The Reverend Billy Graham, known as America's pastor. Billy Graham, at the age of 16, under the preaching of Mordecai Ham, if my memory serves me correctly, received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Repented, even though he was raised in a Christian home, he repented of his sin and was born again and then set about seeking to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Ninety-nine years of age, he went to his reward in heaven. I'm telling you, Billy Graham left a lasting legacy. Amen? Now, now that brings to mind a question for me. Now, I don't think it's going to be a problem for Brother Carroll, it looks like. But does a man have to live 99 years to leave a lasting legacy? Is it possible for a young man to leave a lasting legacy? That's the kind of question that I'm having to ask. And thus, as I look to the Scriptures, Second Chronicles chapter 35, I find the eulogy, the death and eulogy of a young man named Josiah. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and let's begin in verse 23. 2 Chronicles chapter 35, beginning in verse 23. Now, when you're there, let me know with an amen. Because I don't want anybody not following in the Word. I might add something to it. I don't expect to. But if I do, we need to hear about it. Amen? 2 Chronicles Chapter 35, beginning in verse 23. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all... Judea and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah, the great prophet of God. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from the first to the last, indeed, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. 
Josiah lived 39 years, and we just read that he left a lasting legacy. Do you notice when his body was brought into the great city of Jerusalem, all the people mourned. All the people mourned. Their hearts were broken. Why? Because their great king who had served them was dead. I want you to notice with me also that it wasn't just when they came into the city that they mourned, but as I mentioned, the great prophet Jeremiah also lamented lamented for Josiah. Now, Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet. He had plenty of things to lament about, but his heart was broken because you know that there was something going on at that time. The issue they were dealing with is there was a shortage of men of God. There was a shortage of men who were willing to stand up and say, I don't care what the culture says. I want to know what the Lord God Almighty says. I don't care what the culture does. I want to do what the Lord God Almighty says to do. Are you with me? Well, Josiah didn't set out to set a legacy. Josiah set out to honor the Lord God. I want you to notice something else with me. Verse 25. And it said, And to this day all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. The book of Chronicles, now we broke it up into first and second because it was too long for us. But the book of Chronicles was written about 150 to 200 years after Josiah died. Now, what I'm telling you is if you could drop back into the day 150 years after Josiah had died and you tuned into the local country radio station, what you would hear is the country singers were singing the lamentations of Josiah. They were singing. I don't know what they were singing, but the folks of the country were singing. And and, and if you were to turn into the pop radio station, you would find in the top ten a song about the lamentation of Jeremiah. If you slipped over into hip-hop, they were hipping and hopping about Josiah. And despite, despite my redneck upbringing... I guarantee you Motown was singing some Jeremiah, I mean some Josiah. You see, the culture 150 years after Josiah had died was singing the song of Jeremiah, or Josiah, excuse me, the song of Josiah. They were singing about it. Now, that brings me to another question. I don't know about y'all, but when I read my Bible, I ask questions. Have to ask the question, what could a man do? Now, we know what Billy Graham did. But what can a man do in 39 years that would cause people a 100? You realize this would be the same as if those, uh, if you were to, Turn on your serious radio to, to, to whichever of the genres of music that you were listening to in this day. And you were to hear them rapping about Abraham Lincoln. If you heard the twang about good old Abe, 
I'm talking, that's the time frame we're talking about. We don't sing a lot of songs about Abraham Lincoln now. But Josiah, they were singing about him. What did he do? Turn back with me in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Fact of the matter is we may stop in verse 1 for a little bit. Are you all there? Jeremiah, excuse me, Josiah, I'm wanting Jeremiah here tonight for some reason. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, the young man in the picture is, is not Josiah, but, but he is the closest picture I had at the moment of an eight-year-old. I, I want you to get a picture in your mind. Josiah was not a grown man when the weight of the crown was set upon his head. Josiah was a boy. Josiah's daddy was dead. Josiah's daddy had died, and that's why Josiah was king. So when we look to it, what was it that caused Josiah to have this great legacy that caused him to be a man who sought after God? We can't necessarily look to his years spent with his daddy. And, oh, oh, by the way, if we had time to look back, His daddy was an idolatrous scoundrel. I mean, you would not want him leading your congregation, much less your country. No, no, no. We wouldn't want him leading our country, much less your congregation. Let me get this straight. And his grandpa? If you have any understanding of the history of Israel, you know Manasseh. When Manasseh's name was brought up, it was not of his glory and his love of God. Manasseh was the most wicked king that ever ruled in the nation of Israel. The most wicked man that ever sat foot into Jerusalem and sat on the throne. Now, he was so wicked that God at a point in time called on the nation of Babylon and said, Go get him out of there. He's stinking up the city. Put hooks in his nose and drug him across the desert to get him out of there once he got there he acted like a good sinner he repented he said you know god this uh, prison life this prison life's making me think more about you lord i think i'll repent would you mind giving me parole if i were to repent and so he did and he got sent back home but you know what josiah was six years old when his repentant grandpa died So I don't think Grandpa had a whole lot to do with it. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I'm not even giving credit to his great-great-great-grandpa David either. You know why I'm saying that? Because in the book of Romans, the Bible said there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seek after God. No, not one. So the thing I want you to understand about Josiah right here, his legacy did not begin with him. It did not begin with his daddy. It did not begin with his grandpa. And it didn't begin with his great-great-great-grandpa. It began with the Lord God Almighty. And if you're going to have a legacy, 
that is honoring to God, it's because the Lord God Almighty spoke to your rotten, sinful heart and said, I love you and I want you to repent. Look at verse 3. 2 Chronicles 34, 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David, And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. Josiah was 16 years old when he began to seek the Lord God. And and that's not Josiah either. I'm just letting you know. Uh, That young man's from a little earlier age. That's Caleb. But but he's the closest to the 16-year-old that I had a picture of at the time. But I wanted you to notice that Josiah was not a grown man when he had been reigning on the throne for eight years. You know an interesting thing to me? Y'all know how old Billy Graham was whenever the Lord God got a hold of his attention? Billy Graham was 16 years old when he got saved. Josiah was 16 years old when he began to seek after the Lord God Almighty. Dr. James Dobson wrote a book for high school students who are preparing to graduate. The name of the book is called Life on the Edge. In that book, Life on the Edge, Dr. Dobson makes a statement. He says, between the years of 16 and 26, you will make some of the most important decisions in your life. The decisions that you make in those years will impact the rest of your life. Now, folks, what are we doing with our teenagers right now? Are we, are we teaching them the truth of Jesus Christ? Or are we letting them wander astray in the quagmire of the world? Are we attempting to direct them to the truth of God's Word? Are we modeling for them the love and holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our culture has in their mind, especially with young men, that you can throw away those years from 10 to 30. They have plenty of time to grow up when they're later. And I say, God forbid. Because you don't know if that young man's going to have 99 years or if he's going to have 39 years. You don't know if that young man's going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a 14-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, or as a 44-year-old. And if he doesn't make it, folks, the suicide rate among our young men in our country is astronomically insane. Why? Because the devil's grabbing them by the shoulders and saying, come with me, i got something good for you. And then he takes them down that nasty road of sin and brings them to the point where they don't even recognize who they are anymore and they don't know that they were created in the image of God and that they were formed in their mother's womb by the Lord God Almighty and they say this life is not worth living and they kill themselves. And hopefully they don't kill somebody else in the process of it. These are important years. Josiah began to seek the Lord God because the Lord God called him by name said, come with me walk with me now i want you to notice what he did verse three it said in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young he began to seek the god of his father david and in the twelfth year how old was he then now 16 plus four he was 20 years old when he was 20 years old he was out shooting hoops with his bros and and having a good time maybe out riding bull no he wasn't 
What does it say? It says when he was in his 12th year of his reign, when he was 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden image, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars were, which were above them, they cut them down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images, he broke into pieces, and he made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And then in verse 5, he also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. I don't know if y'all noticed it, but he got violent. He got violent. Oh, now, let's not be getting violent now. Let's keep it nice and peaceful now. Y'all know we're going to have a best life now. You're living in sin, you're not going to. Yeah, you are. If you're living in sin without the Lord Jesus Christ, your best life is now. Because the place you're going to when it's over is not good. Folks, I cannot begin tonight to have the time to go in the depth of depravity of the items that Josiah tore up. I can't describe them all to you, but I can tell you this. Hugh Hefner, Larry Flynn, and a bunch of other disreputable publishers would have been thoroughly excited about owning these things. They were idols that were disgusting and filthy in the eyes of God. Why, they even had an, they even had an idol that was dedicated to Planned Parenthood. A little fat idol named Molech sat there with his hands out and his fat belly open. They'd get the fire burning in old Molech, and they'd take the little babies, and they'd drop them into his hands, and he'd, they'd slide down into his belly, screaming as they were burned to death like a saline abortion. Oh, got quiet in here. Josiah, the righteous indignation, the, the same righteous indignation that our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated on the Temple Mount came out in him. He didn't use a whip. He used a sword. And he cut these altars up and broke them down and ground them up. Folks, there are times in our lives when we must get violent with the sin that is leading us astray and destroying our lives. If I may, you know what happens? You remember Cain? Lord told Cain, said, Cain, sin stands at your door. Beware. You're supposed to rule over it. Cain opened the door up, and he walked out. He goes, oh, you cute little kitty cat. Come here. Pick that little kitty cat up. Purr, 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 purr. Oh, I love this. This little sin. This little, this little sin here, it's not bad at all. You know what I'm talking about. You know how cute kittens are? That's the way sin is. But you know what happened? That sin grows up to be that ferocious lion that goes about seeking at whom it may devour. You bring that little sin into your life and you begin to pet it and you begin to feed it and you begin to comfort it. And you know what? It's going to stay. But you get the sword out and you circumcise that sin. You cut it off. And that sin will leave your household. It may come back in with the garbage, but it will leave it for now. You know how you get rid of the sin? Remember an old song. What can wash away my sin? 
What can make me whole again? Come on, folks. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It washes us whiter than snow. But the death of Jesus Christ was a violent death. He violently took care of the sin. And, folks, we got to step up and follow the Lord Jesus and violently take care of the sin. What sin is laying around in your house that's enticing the people to go after the ways of the world instead of the ways of God? And by the way, that's not Josiah either. That's my youngest son, Casey, right there, when he was about 19 years old. I just wanted you to know that Josiah was not a gray-haired grown man when he began to serve the Lord God, when he began to purge the idolatry from the land, he was just a young man, a mere child by some recollections. Though at 20 years old, you better be a working man at my house because I'm not feeding you anymore. You can come over for Sunday dinner, but I'm not feeding you every day. Look at verses 8 through 12 with me, if you would. And I will not again, whoop, wrong chapter. Let me back up over here. And in the 18th year of his reign, while he, when he purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord of his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the houses which the king of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. And we're going to pause there. Josiah was 26 years old when he began to restore the temple. I want you to notice how he went about doing it. You notice Josiah didn't try to do it on his own. Josiah went and found some men, reputable men, men with authority. And he said, you men come alongside me. We have a job to do. We have work to do. We need to restore the place of worship of the Lord God Almighty. Look with me quickly, if you would, these men here. We have Maasiah, the governor of the city. We call him the mayor. We have here uh, Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder. We call him the tax collector. (laughs) Or the county secretary. Folks, these are men of influence in the city. You know what? I'll admit this. I'll admit this. Folks that are involved in politics, I sometimes deem 
as an allergy. I don't particularly want to be hanging around them. But we need men of God in the secular, which shouldn't be secular anyway, because God's the one who raises up authorities. God's the one that raises up authorities. And there's no authority given under heaven except by God. That's why we're supposed to pray for them. Well, Josiah did more than pray for them. He called them and said, you guys, come have coffee with me. And they sat down and talked about the situation. I don't know if you noticed it, but in reading the text, even the floors of the temple had been destroyed. Why was that? Because the former king, Josiah's daddy, had set up altars to false gods in the very temple. They weren't just scattered throughout the city. They weren't just scattered throughout the country. They were in the very temple of God. And when they went in and hacked them up, they made a mess. But there was a mess there already because they had hacked away every presence of the Lord God Almighty before the Josiah ever got there. They had turned the house of God into a den of thieves. They had brought forth idolatry. And folks, I, I want to mention this to you because this is something God has been really burdening me with here lately. You know, I hear it all the time. You know, one sin's no worse than another. All have sinned. And wages of sin is death. And the fact of the matter is all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. Yes, indeed. But when you start flirting with idolatry, come on now. When you start picking out your own God, making your own gods up, or chasing after some God that's not the God of the Bible, and you expect the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, to bless your life, no, Mm -mm, not happening. Josiah called upon men to help him to restore worship to the nation. And please look with me at verse 12 because there's important words right there. And the men did the work. What's the word? Faithfully. 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 Oh, God, for faithful men. We live in a nation where you can't even get a man to be faithful to his wife. You can't get a man to be faithful to his children. And you want him to be faithful to God? Let me tell you, how do you do it? What can wash away my sin? That's right. That's what it takes. They need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You want faithful men, you get men who know that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved them. You get men who know that if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary, they'd be in wretched sin. Headed for hell. And hell is real. It's hot and it's still there. I don't care what anybody says. Faithful men. Faithful men. Read on with me if you beginning in verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord... Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. Why was that? Because they were faithful men. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and the workmen. 
Verse 18, are you all with me there? Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. You know, one of the most amazing things that I've read in this passage that really struck my heart and thought, man, God is so awesome and gracious. How, how could this have happened? Josiah was 26 years old before he ever saw a Bible. He had never heard the Word of God. And when he heard that Word of God, when the Word of God was read to him, when, the, when he was exposed, when his soul was exposed to the Word of God, he ripped his garment. That was an expression of intense emotion. Why? Because if you read the law, if you read the law, you know what you're going to find out? You are condemned by the law. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And not only have we sinned, but our daddies have sinned and our granddaddies have sinned. And even your sweet mama was a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Joseph's heart was wrenched because of the grief of the sin. Do I think Josiah was concerned about what was going to happen to his nation? Yes. Do I think Josiah was concerned about how God Almighty, who creator of heaven and earth, the one who formed us in our mother's womb, was disgraced by the his chosen people? Yes. Yes, he was. Josiah. He heard the word of God for the first time at 26. Look with me at verses 31 or 21 through 28. Excuse me. Let's back up and get verse 20. No point in leaving it an orphan. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of uh, Tokath, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her to that effect. And then she answered them. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. Why? Verse 25. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. Mm. 
but as for the king of Judah. The king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. In this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall not be and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. After Josiah heard the word of God, he had some questions. He wanted to know how this ancient word applied to his time. Is this word of God relevant? Have you ever heard that question? Come on. If you read it, you know it's relevant. Is this word of God applicable to our time? Yeah, it is. Is God's wrath still real? Yeah, it is. We don't have time tonight to go there. But you know John 3.16, for God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life. You're already condemned. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Because all have loved darkness instead of the light. They don't want to come to the light lest their sins be exposed. Yes, Josiah, these words are still applicable to your generation. Yes, Jerry, these words are still applicable to your generation. You see, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter where your parents came from. It doesn't matter what school you were raised in. It doesn't matter what your home was like if you don't repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are just as guilty of those men. You are just as guilty as Manasseh. Josiah heard the word of the book of law. He wanted to know if it applied, but he didn't stop there. You know, there's times that we'll hear the word of God and people will hear the word of God, and I tell you, this is a great grievance of mine. People will hear the word of God and they'll say, Oh, God! Have mercy on a sinner like me. And they'll repent and they'll say, Jesus, save me. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jesus, for washing my sin. Thank you for that promise of a home in heaven. By the way, Jesus, I'll check back in with you when it's time to die. All right? So I'll see you later. You see, God doesn't need any more secret agents. He got enough of them in China. And you know what they're doing over there? They're winning people to Jesus. Right here in the great country of the United States of America, we are not turning more Christian 
We're turning more pagan. There's more idolatry going on in our nation right now than has ever been in my lifetime, and I'm expecting it goes back farther than that. Well, now, we've got to be inclusive, multicultural. I don't care what your culture is. You still need Jesus. Muslims can get saved, can't they? Uh huh. Rednecks can get saved, can't they? You know, redneck is a religion. <laughs> Just go to the bar and hang out with them. They worship. They got their own worship music. Why? Well, they're more apt to help you fix your car than the folks after church will because we're all dressed up too nice. Verse 29 through 33, if you would, please. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which has been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God the God of their fathers. And thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently seek the Lord their God. How long? All the days of his, all his days. They did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Josiah understood what the Word of God said. He understood the gravity of the message. He understood the danger of the time. He understood that this was a precious, precious treasure that he could not hide in his own bosom and keep it. It had to be shared with other people. And as the king, as the authority over the people, it was his responsibility to make sure that the people heard and understood and walked in the truth of God's Word. Brother pastors, God has given us the stewardship over the people that He has assigned us to pastor. I think we have a greater responsibility than the king or the ruler. We must preach the Word. We must preach the word in season, out of season. We must rebuke, exhort. We must do so with trembling hearts. Why? Because if we don't do it right, they might be led astray by false teachers. It's too dangerous an occupation. If I could, I would like to draw your attention, please. Notice... Whenever Shaphan, the scribe, brought the book to the king, look at verse 19. Thus it happened when he, the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Verse 15, when then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. 
Josiah heard the law. Josiah's heart was rent. Josiah repented. Josiah sought counsel. Josiah took the words of God, applied it to his life, and began to pass it out to the people that were around it. And please notice with me in verse 30 when Josiah stood up to read about the middle of the verse. It says, and he read in their hearing all the words. Y'all see that with me? Some of y'all did. The rest of y'all get in your book. We're not leaving. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. The covenant. The covenant. You see, it's not just a law book that regulates and governs the actions of our lives. It's not the policeman pulling you over and saying, uh, boy, you're going a little fast there, weren't you? No, sir. Mm-mm, I couldn't have been going fast. My speedometer's broke. It's not the law that says, until death do you part, husband and wife. It's the covenant. And God didn't just give a law. He gave a covenant. He gave an old covenant to the nation of Israel. And that covenant, God said through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And that new covenant is going to be written on your heart. And you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to walk with you. You see, God's the God of the covenant. How do you leave a lasting legacy? Well, the first thing you need to know is you need to understand that it begins with God. Back up just a minute there on that slide for me. Y'all recognize that building? I remember when that building didn't exist. I'd get my church clothes dirty in the mud parking lot out here. Had two concrete sidewalks for the adults to walk on, but we had all that mud for us kids. Oh, it was a glorious church. And then somebody paved the parking lot. Ruined everything. You know, those improvements. I wanted that picture up there for a reason, folks. Brother Roy Harris, in 2004, where did you teach Sunday school? Uh huh. That's right. Where are you at now, brother? Lighthouse Christian Fellowship. I know where it's at. I know where it's at. Pray for you. Pray for you. Brother Richard, how did your congregation get started all those many years ago? Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. Hmm. See, the first time I set foot in Robertson Avenue Baptist Church was somewhere around 1964, 1965. I don't remember exactly what year it was because I wasn't paying attention to years any better then than I am now. But Judy was here. She's going to start aging one of these days. (laughs) How many more folks are here from those early days, Judy? Yutana? Yutana was playing the piano when I got here, and Saturday she was playing the piano for me over at the nursing home. Not for me, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Been doing it faithfully for many years. You see, right now, the church seems to be in a little bit of a slump, maybe, from the heyday. But there's a legacy. 
a legacy. You see, God saved a little rotten, sinful boy here. And by the way, Living Hope, the church in the field, the church that I pastor, is there because God used this church to save me. God used this church to call me to the ministry. God used this church to reaffirm that call when I thought that there was no way that God would ever use me for anything except a mechanic, a a grass boy cutting the grass and picking up the cigarette butts that the deacons left. It may not have been the deacons. (laughs) It used to not be a sin to smoke, folks. How do you leave a lasting legacy? You understand that it begins with God. Guys in the sound booth can come on now. Bring me up the next slide. That's right. I'm used to this. Daryl falls asleep on me occasionally when he's worked too hard. He's a hard-working man, I'm telling you. Not because my preaching's boring. You have to understand it begins with God. There is nothing in you in your own ability to save yourself. There is nothing in you that's going to draw you to God. Why? Because God says there's none that seeks after God. No, not one. If you don't believe me, go read Romans. It's there. You have to understand that it begins with God. And you have to understand that if you want to leave a lasting legacy, you have to purge sin from your life. You have to purge sin from your home. And believe it or not, church, we've got to purge sin from the church. How do we do that? Well, you know, we dust the building up nicely. No, this is not the church. This is the building. We are the church. If all you do to help your church is get rid of the sin in your life. It's going to polish up the lens of your light so that your light might shine before men that they may see your Father's works and glorify your Father in heaven. And when the church membership is right with God, guess what? The church is right. When daddy's right with God, the home is hidden right for God. Doesn't mean you won't have some prodigal sons. Just beat them good and give them the word. That's what we did at our house, wasn't it? Got two of my sons right here. They know that. I didn't beat them with the Bible. I beat them with the board. There's no clock in here, so nobody tell me what time it is, but I'm not going to try to keep you all night. But I do want, if I might, you know, we have things that happen in our Christian walk that are a little bit interesting at times, wouldn't you think? When we were right here at Robertson Avenue in the 1990s, just having the time of our life, I was so happy that God wasn't mad at me. I mean, that's the greatest thing to know as far as I'm concerned. I knew I saved when I was nine. When I was 30, I wasn't sure, so I asked God, spent a year chasing the Bible, praying, saying, God, if I'm not saved, I want to get saved. If I am saved, I want to know it. You know what he told me? Much to my chagrin, he said, yeah, you're saved, Jerry. It doesn't look like it. But let's work on that. So I was just having fun serving God, doing whatever he let me do. And There was a family out on Fort Hood. The husband was deployed. You know, that happens around here a lot. 
And the wife had three little children, twin babies. They were about a year old, maybe two because they were really terrible. So they must have been in their terrible twos. And an older son. And, and this woman said, I can't take care of these kids. They're, they're driving me crazy. W- would you watch? And didn't ask me. Asked my, my charming wife, Becky. <laughs> said, would you watch my son after church today? And, of course, Becky was sweet and kind. And she said, yeah, I can do that. She was younger then, too. That's been a while. She still loves kids. but. And so that woman, we, we took that child home with us, and three days later, Becky called the mother and said, Hey, how long were we keeping this child? You remember that, babe? She said, Well, I think maybe I can take him now. And we sent him back. And then another time arose, and we went through the same thing. And we went through it again and again. And then one day, Becky got a call, and she said, if you don't come get these kids, I'm going to kill them. And Becky said, you know, that's a little bit out of my jurisdiction. So she called the authorities on post. And they went by and visited this woman. And you know what they did? They brought her husband home from deployment so that he could be here to help her out. God is good, huh? But the woman was a little irritated, so she called Child Protective Services. Now, we don't know for a fact she did. It just doesn't make sense that it happened any other way because, you know, CPS doesn't tell you when someone reports you. Anybody else been reported to CPS besides me? Oh, come on now. It wasn't actually me. It was my wife. (laughs) I tell you. This woman called up and she said, Becky Jewell, I saw her beating her son, Corey, in the church parking lot with a two-by-four. And Becky was all upset, and she was crying. And she said, honey, they, they said I was beating Corey with a two-by-four. And I said, don't worry, honey, everybody knows we never use anything bigger than a one-by-four. <laughs> How many of you all know Corey? <laughs> God is good, though. You know that? CPS, they just sneak up on you. We live out in the country. They had to call. Uh, Mrs. Jewell, this is Mrs. So-and-so from the CPS. We're coming by to visit your house. Could you tell us how to find you? <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but somehow or another, before the CPS woman could get there, Brother Bob Dorsey. Brother Bob Dorsey, a deacon in this church. Good man, man of God. He is enjoying his reward in heaven right now. Oh, I tell you what, he showed up at our doorstep and he prayed with us and he sat with us and he sat through that ordeal with Child Protective Services. I got to tell the rest of the story now, right? The woman brought our precious little blue-eyed, blonde-haired, beautiful son who was about 10 years old. And she says, Corey, do your parents whoop you? He goes, oh, they beat me like a horse. Let me show you what they use. (laughs) And he went and got my favorite strap. A friend of mine had made it for his daughters. He had taken some good thick naga hide. You know, that, like they use on Cadillacs. You know, it's not really leather most of the (laughs) time. But he, he took that good thick naga hide and he folded it over four or five times and crisscrossed it and zigzagged it. He was an upholsterer and he made a strap about that long, about that wide. And whoo, I tried it out on my leg. Whop! It burned like fire. 
but it left the meat pink like some folks like to eat it. Nope. <laughs> Kept it on top of the refrigerator so it wouldn't be destroyed. He took it and gave it to the woman. She looked at him. She looked at Becky. She looked at me, and she said, that boy needs a beating. (laughs) I think I can report there's no problems here. (laughs) And she left. Just because you purge sin in your household doesn't mean you won't have problems. But you've got to purge it anyway. Why? Don't bring that cute little kitten into your house. Feed me. That's what sin will do to you. Purge the sin, and then what did Josiah do? He restored proper worship. Restore proper worship. Where at in your life? In your life. Don't go talking about the church until you look in the mirror and talk about that sinful person there that's not worshiping the Lord i got a guy that confronts me every morning about my preaching. Can you believe that? I can't, I can't get out of my own home. I get out of bed. I walk into the bathroom, and there he is looking at me in this square thing above the sink. He said, you don't deserve to preach, you rotten person. I have to tell him sometime. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. But you've got to restore proper worship in your life. I tell the folks at Living Hope, I get out of bed in the morning, I say, thank you, Jesus, for another day. I'm needing some help today. Doesn't matter which day it is, they all end in Y. You have to restore proper worship in your life by recognizing that no matter where I go, there you are. No matter what I'm doing, you're there with me. I read that in Psalm 139, and I thought of some of the places I had gone when I was running from God, and I began to blush. Jesus, you wouldn't be seen there. He said, I went with you. You've got to restore proper worship in your home. Who is the head of the household? According to the Bible, who is the priest of your home? The husband. There's no confusion about it. I thank God for godly women. But if you want to change your home, you better have a godly man. Pulled up to Walmart here a few weeks ago. Get the car. Got this newer car. And I looked at the oil filter and said, I don't really want to mess with that. Walmart had a good deal going on oil change. So I took the car down there and I parked it in the line and I said, uh, you get an oil change. I said, what do you need? I said, the guy I got it from was getting it changed here. So I pulled a little sticker off and gave it to him. I said, I need one of these. He said, okay, we can do that. I sat down and began to read a book that I was reading. You know, they got a bench out there. And this young lady comes up and said, this your car? I said, yeah. And she looks inside my car and she sees that the, the stick on it doesn't say P-R-N-D-1-2. It says 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, R. Got an extra pedal down there. And she said, I can't drive this thing. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, I can't believe that your daddy didn't teach you how to drive a stick shift. And she said, I didn't have no daddy. I said, I'm sorry to hear that, young lady. 
But I tell you what, you need to find you a good man. Find you a good man knows how to drive a stick shift. What I should have told her is, you need to find you a good man that knows Jesus Christ. You see, even us pastors, we mess up sometimes and we miss an opportunity. I was thinking about something other than what I should have been. We need to restore proper worship in the home, and the proper worship begins with the man of the house. And then we can restore worship in the church. Then we can do it, because pastor can't do it by himself. Brother Carroll, you ever able to restore worship in the church by yourself without some men? No, sir. doesn't happen. One of the things I thank God for about Living Hope, we usually got more men than women. Got more kids than anything. But I thank God and I pray that there'll be godly men and leading their homes, and I hope they do. In order to restore proper worship, we have to read and understand the Word of God. You've got to read and understand the Word of God. You cannot worship properly without the instructions. You open your Bible up and you, you notice some of that verse 20. I was going to skip it. It says it's got Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon. I mean, those guys' names are hard to read. And some of those other words are hard too. You know what I tell people? Get a dictionary. Butcher the Hebrew names. I can butcher your name as well. I can butcher Hebrew. Butcher the Hebrew names, but find out what those other words mean and obey them. You can't understand instructions you don't know. And if you don't know what the Word of God says and you don't understand what the Word of God says, some wolf in sheep clothing's going to come in and tell you how to have your best life now. And you will. You need to make sure that the people that are under your influence know what God says. You know who needs to teach their children the Word of God? The pastor, of course. No, the daddy. Pastor is supplemental to the daddy. If I could put this in a football analogy, the pastor is the quarterback of the home. No, excuse me. The daddy is the quarterback of the home. The pastor is the center. See, pastor just hikes the ball to daddy and says, here, pass it on to the running backs in your household. Pass it on to the people in your house so that they can know how this is done. Got to make sure that the people that are under your influence know what God says. And that's not just your home. If you've got a job, you've got influence. If you go shopping, you've got influence. I don't, I don't have time to tell you about the people that have been led to the Lord at Walmart. Just know it happens. Above all this, you've got to make sure that you enter into a covenant relationship with God. The new covenant, the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if you do all of these other things and you miss Jesus, you miss not only a lasting legacy, but you miss eternal life. You've got to know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've got to know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You've got to know that God demonstrated His love towards us in that we we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. 
You've got to know that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. You've got to pray. You've got to ask him. It doesn't come in by osmosis. It doesn't come in by inheritance. It comes in by recognizing the truth of God's Word, recognizing that you're a sinner, and repenting and asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. What can wash away my sin? Stand with me, church. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are we going to have an invitation tonight? Just as I am. Oh, that seems appropriate now, doesn't it? Billy Graham. We started with Billy Graham, didn't we? Brother Norm, this is your church, your building, your house that you have opened up to us. Not yours, but God's house that he's made you the servant over. Come on up. You take over. You say, well, we're all church members here, yeah? I remember standing at First Baptist Church of Lampasas at a revival meeting. Watching a woman that I had watched a month earlier walk the aisle. One month earlier, she had received a pen for serving 50 years in Sunday school. Could you imagine having a Sunday school teacher that was faithful for 50 years? 50 years, she received the pen. And just a month later, at a revival service, she walked the aisle, and when I saw her, I could just see her back. She was standing here like this. And she was talking to the pastor. You know what I thought? Sister Sunday school teachers asking the pastor to pray for some lost folks. And then the pastor, he did this. Finally, the invitation was over. And he had his arm around Sister Sunday school teacher. He said, y'all know Sister Sunday school teacher. Yeah, we do. She got the 50-year pen. Well, she came tonight and said that tonight she was convicted that she had never received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Fifty years in Sunday school doesn't save you. Only Jesus. We've got to have every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going old school here. Maybe God's doing work on your heart right now. Have you never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Come on now, it's it is something to be ashamed of, but it will shame you straight to hell if you don't ask Him to save you. Brother Norm's standing up here waiting for you. If you need to step out, come up and talk to him. Come on. Coming to the preacher doesn't save you either. You've got to do business with Jesus. But you need to come talk and let somebody know what's happening. Maybe you've got loved ones that you've been praying for for years and they're still lost and running down the highway to hell. Maybe you need to take a moment and come kneel at the altar right up here. You say, wow, we don't have to go to the altar. Y'all never go to the altar at Living Hope. We don't have room at the altar, folks. We pray in our chairs. 
Because if God's moving your heart, we used to do that here all the time. Just take a moment and come kneel right here. Pray for somebody you know and love. I'm done talking to y'all. I'm going to be praying. God's spoken to you tonight. You know, I'm just sitting there looking at this congregation. This is the most beautiful sight I've seen in many years. People from different churches, different backgrounds, and different colors. But yet we come here to worship and join together with one God in mind. If you don't know that God, don't leave this building without Him. I think this is what heaven's going to look like one day, Brother Richard. This is what heaven's going to be like. Made up of nobody but saved souls. Born again Christians. Is God speaking to you this night? We're not going to tarry long, but now's your turn. I ask you to step out. We're not asking you to come to this church. We're not even encouraging you to go to a church. God's going to do that part. As we sing that song, sing with us. You know that old song. God asking you to come this morning, this evening? Is He calling you tonight for some reason? Maybe you've just got away from God. Maybe you know you're a Christian, but you've just let the door sort of shut. God's calling you back home tonight. We're not going to tarry long. This will be the last verse if nobody comes. Isn't it good to be in God's house tonight?